Hello there, true believers. This is Head Speaks, a proud member of the Headcast Network family of shows. As usual, I am your host, Aaron Moss, aka Head. This is my mostly monthly Headcast, where I talk about comics, movies, role-playing games, TV shows, and anything else geeky that I want. So sit back and enjoy the ride. Let's begin. Hey, true believers. This is Aaron Moss, a.k.a. Brotherhead, coming at you. And this is episode 46 of Head Speaks. I've got two segments, two segments today for you. The first up is... Bitch and moan, bitch and moan, bitch and gripe, gripe and moan. Bitch and gripe. Bitch and moan. Bitch and moan. Bitch and gripe. Brotherheads, bitches, moans, and gripes. So on today's segment, I'm going to talk a little bit about fanboys and uh, stupidity of them, I guess. Me being a fanboy, I, I try not to be stupid about it, but uh, as I've talked about before, I'm on a couple of Facebook groups. Uh, one of the more prevalent ones I'm on is a... Unite DC Comics group where we talk about DC Comics, the comics, movies, TV shows, all of that nonsense. And again, I, I can be very vocal when I dislike something. I mean, we've had years and years. I mean, before the current Marvel run we've had, we had decades of interspaced movies here and there, very once in a while, the occasional TV series. And so we were happy with what we got. But in the last uh, decade or so, a little over a decade, I guess, we've had a plethora of movies, TV shows, animated projects. As I've said before, and I'll say it again, no matter what I complain about, this is a great time to be a comic book geek. I mean, there's so much stuff out there that I don't have time to watch at all. So we we actually pick and choose what we watch. If you don't like something, go ahead and turn it off and turn on something else. There's plenty of shows that I, I just kind of, I like, it's okay. But I have so much stuff to watch that I say Gotham was a decent show. It's got its problems, got some good stuff about it. But I have so much stuff to watch. I've missed the last season and a half of it. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. same way. I missed the last like two seasons or so, maybe three now, because I've got so much stuff. I got behind on it, and I, I'll, I'll catch it at some other point. But my point is, and I've gotten off the main point with this subpoint, but there's so much stuff here that we have a lot to choose from. But the flip side of that, that we have so much to choose from, is that unlike back with the the uh, rubber mask, rubber-eared Captain America of the 90s and the Punisher of No Skull with, uh, what's his name, the Russian from Rocky IV, uh, we don't have to accept everything that comes out at us. And as a geek, I, I don't accept everything that's, oh, this is great because it's a comic book thing and it's coming at us no matter what it is. I If I see something I don't like, I will complain about it. And if I don't care for it enough, I'll stop watching, or I will, I will, you know, I'm not going to keep watching something just to watch it because I have nothing else to watch. I say we have so much stuff that we can be choosy. But there are some things, like, for instance, I've complained about this before, and I'll complain about it again, the Titans on the CW app. I love the, the Wolfman Press Titans. That's a fantastic book. I, I love that. I thought they did a great job on it. I mean, there at the end, it got a little, it got kind of bad. But it's Marvel is famously known for having a writer's block at that point and having problems. So, uh, but before that was awesome. I would say the first hundred or so issues of the New Teen Titans, which became the ti- New Titans, and the series before that was just fantastic. So when the New Titan or the Titans TV show came out, I was up for that. And as I've complained before, I dislike it. There's a lot of problems. Starfire, Changeling. Uh, oh my god, Dove is horrible. I mean, the costume looks pretty good. Except for, again, it, they're following that DC cinematic route and everything's a little dark and grim and gritty. And Dove's not that type of character. But that's I'm not here to complain about Dove right now. 
my point is when I complain about these things on Facebook, you get people that they have nothing better to do than complain the fact that you're complaining about this. They, you know, well, imagine, you know, you're such a geek that you have to complain about this TV show. And like I said, if to them, you know, you're so bad off that you have to complain about me complaining about a TV show. It just, fanboys can be our own worst enemy. Uh, look at the whole Star Wars debacle. I mean, the last couple Star Wars movies haven't done as good. I think they've been decent movies. But a lot of fanboys have complained. And, again, and again I'm sure they're not the same fanboys, but you get a segment of fanboys complained when George Lucas did episodes 1, 2, and 3. Oh my god, George Lucas ruined Star Wars. Uh, again, one, episodes 1, 2, 3 weren't perfect, but they were decent for what he was trying to do, I think. But yeah, yeah, you get fanboys saying, oh, you ruined Star Wars, giving up George Lucas. So George Lucas sells Star Wars to Disney. Disney comes out with episode 7, 8, the Han Solo movie, a couple others, and people complain about them. Oh, we'll give it back to George Lucas, you're ruining, you're ruining Disney. How can they ruin something that's already been ruined, according to fanboys? They complain about, you know, I was just on a post recently about uh, complaining about Luke Skywalker acting out of character in Episode Eight. Oh, he threw his father's lightsaber, and he was about ready to kill an innocent for no reason. And yeah, Luke Skywalker threw away his father's lightsaber. Like I said to that guy, apparently my sarcasm was lost on him. Yeah, Luke Skywalker threw away his father's lightsaber. I mean, this the same father he had such a close, intimate relationship with for all these years. Uh, you know, he honored his father. He thought his father was a great man. No, his father was Darth Vader. The lightsaber didn't mean a lot to him. And as far as almost killing an innocent boy, it was a brief thought he had because he saw his, his nephew going down the side, the dark side route, the same route. He's fallen on temporarily. And yes, in case you didn't miss it, part of Star Wars, well, it's not part of the continuity anymore, I guess, but previous Star Wars continuity, there was Dark Empire where Luke fell to the dark side for a brief moment. So, saying that, you know, Luke Skywalker giving up on the Force and hiding away and throwing away his father's lightsaber and pondering killing uh, Ben Solo for a moment is out of character. I, I don't think you know the character that well. But again, I'm not caring about the fact that well, I am, but. And I've started to leave my main point again about fans. Again, my main complaint about this is geeks complaining about other geeks complaining about stuff. Again, that's what we do. And I, I know I'm being kind of, uh, I don't know if it's hypocritical or what, that, that I'm complaining about the Star Wars fan, complaining about Star Wars. But since this is my podcast, I guess I get to do that. Be, you know, complain about complainers and then complain about people complaining. I don't know. Uh, anyway, my point is that, and again, this, this segment's kind of all over the place, I guess. I do want to complain about, well, I say people going on Facebook to complain about me complaining about people just because, well, again, we're in an era where we don't have to accept everything that's thrown at us. We can be a little critical about the, these things. And again, I complain about Titans because I love them so much. I, I love that George Perez run, as I talked about, the Marv Wolfman George Perez run. So when they do something wrong, I, I've got to go on Facebook and complain about it. But there's a difference in complaining about what you think is wrong. I mean, if other people are enjoying that show, fantastic. I'm happy for you. I wish I could enjoy it because, again, I love the Titans, as I've said. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Uh, I've going, I'm going to release a episode of Task Force X this month where I talk about the Suicide Squad movie, and I'll have some points in that. Because, again, Suicide Squad is another uh, book I loved. But, I, I don't know. Going on to Facebook and complaining about someone, that, complaining about, you know, not really complaining, but saying how they don't like what they don't like about something, even valid arguments, oh, it just it seems kind of hypocritical to me. And I know I was just complaining about Star Wars fans that complained about the Star Wars movies. But, I... And again, maybe it's just different because from a different point of view, and I enjoyed the Star Wars movies to an extent. And so maybe that's where I'm coming from. But 
I think I've lost my path with this this rant. Uh, not quite sure I'm going with it at this point. Uh, so I'm going to probably end it here pretty soon just because I think I got kind of off track with my rant ranting about something else. But what do you guys think? Uh, do you guys think that we are in an enlightened area where we can complain? Not complain. Again, I say complain. Uh, but yeah, we, we can make some slight complaints about these shows that we love or these properties that we love when we think that they're doing it wrong. But there's a, a I don't want to say a limit per se, but when you start demanding, you know, a boycott on something, I, I think that's beyond the line. I mean, if someone wants to enjoy, you know, if I want to enjoy Star Wars, I can enjoy it. If someone wants to enjoy the Titans, that's fine. And if you want to complain about something, do it productively. Don't just, you know, and do it consistently, I guess. Uh, don't make up, like I said, the Star Wars one I was complaining about earlier. Guy complaining that, you know, Star uh, Luke Skywalker is acting out of character. Watch all the movies and see if he's acting out of character. Uh, I'm complaining about the Titans TV show when I do complain about that because it's not... Again, it's consistent, I guess, with the TV show that they're doing. But they're not... Dove's not consistent with the character from the comic. Starfire's not consistent with the looks of the character in the comic. And that's what I'm complaining about that... And I guess that may be a complaint for a different show. The fact that these studios change some of these characters so much. But we'll talk about that, talk about that later. Um, again, I've got kind of off track of my original rant. I'm all over the place with this. But that's what happens when I actually have a script. I'm just coming off the head. I've got my basic idea of what I want to talk about. And as I'm talking, I come with other ideas and things just flow out. So uh, what do you guys think? Am I crazy? Uh, should I shut up? Uh, let me know. Send me feedback at head at headspeaks.com. Uh, we've been in this for about 10, 12 minutes. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with our next segment. Headspeaks will be back after these important messages. Xenophiles, a fan podcast devoted to the comic series Xenozoic Tales. It's a post-apocalyptic adventure series filled with Cadillacs and dinosaurs. I'm Ruth. And I'm Darren. We hope you'll join us as we discuss the stories, characters, and art in this excellent comic series from creator, writer, and artist Mark Schultz. Xenozoic Xenophiles is available at podbean.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. And find us at xenozoicxenophiles.com. Aaron Moss, a.k.a. Brotherhead. And I'm letting you know I've got a whole network of shows out there. It's called the Headcast Network. And on this network, I have a whole bunch of shows that you may just enjoy. My primary show is Head Speaks. That's where I talk about comics, TV shows, movies, books, uh, whatever I feel like talking about that month. Again, I am a big geek, so it's going to be geek-oriented, for the most part. Uh, then I have G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. That's where me and several other guys get together and talk about the G.I. Joe comic book series from the 80s, which lasted through the 90s and then was recently restarted by IDW in the 2000s, and also the G.I. Joe, a real American hero cartoon from the 80s. Great times. I also have Task Force X, where I talk about the Suicide Squad and the Checkmate comics from the late 80s, early 90s. And my final show on the network at this point is the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour, where I look at the Will Payton Starman and the Mark Shaw Manhunter comics, again, from the late 80s, early 90s, kind of a type. Uh, come join us, check out the fun. 
I've also got some other shows planned. I may do, be doing a Heroes Unlimited role-playing podcast. And I've also got another secondary G.I. Joe show coming out called Bravo Team. Or look at other G.I. Joe-related items. Uh, my shows are available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. Come check them out. Maggie. I'm still wrapping my brain around the fact that we're married. <laughs> Me too, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Aww. Oh, hey, I was looking at these old comics and I noticed that there's Hold a Hold that thought. Why don't we talk about it on our podcast? We have a podcast? It seems like the logical next step. We get married, we change our names, we combine our comic collections, we start a podcast about comic books. Well, I can't fault your logic, but there are plenty of podcasts out there already. Do you really think we'll have anything new and interesting to say? Oh, I think we'll manage. Welcome to the Married with Comics podcast, where we constantly f*** up. <laughs> she goes from Marvel Girl to Phoenix to Marvel Girl to Jean Grey to Phoenix to Dead. <laughs> um, and then apparently he's so consumed with his own thoughts that he runs right past three monkeys. <laughs> a brainwave camera took a picture of that guy's head. A brainwave camera. Oh, and Ben's just basically, whatever you gotta do to stop the commies, Nick. So join us at the Married with Comics podcast. We're two newlyweds with a love for comics intelligently, critically, and thoughtfully discuss comic books. Also listen as we goof around, make jokes, and make fun of John for mispronouncing names. I do that a lot. Sometimes we'll pick a topic and review and discuss comics that relate to the topic. And sometimes we'll pick up a comic and see what discussion topics come up. Sometimes we'll spend an entire episode talking about how much Maggie loves Batman. The only thing that's almost as strong as my love for you is my love for Batman. The Married with Comics podcast. Available directly on our site at marywcomics.lipson.com, on iTunes, and wherever good podcasts are found. Also, check us out at Facebook at the Married with Comics podcast. We've got everything you need. And now back to Head Speaks. Welcome back. And now let's take a look at our next segment. Faster than a speeding bullet. Justice League. Spider-Man and his amazing friends. The Justice League of America versus the Legion of Doom. This is Watson Head Longbox. Dedicated to truth, justice, and peace for all mankind. The world's greatest super friends. And welcome to this segment of Watson Head's Longbox. We're continuing our look at the Armageddon 2001 Mega Crossover. Uh, we're nearing the end, but not quite there yet. And back with me this month, I have another special guest, uh, first time for my podcast. From the Fan Holes podcast, we have Derek WC. Hey, Derek. hey, what's up? How's it going, Aaron? Pleasure right, to be man. here. Pleasure to finally talk to you guys. I've been listening to your shows, and we've been listening for quite a while now, and yeah, I got to realize, you know, it's the first time I'm actually talking to him. Cool, cool. <laughs> In person, oh, that's actually, great. That's uh, great. No, it's fun. It's fun listening to the the Armageddon 2001 coverage because I think I think that's something I'm a I'm a mark for. So so it's fun listening to you cover this stuff. So when you when you mentioned this, I was like, oh, and I don't I don't know. I I mean, I guess revealing the hand. I don't I don't get to talk about Legion all that much in in my various <laughs> venues. So I was like, this is this is kind of going to be fun because it's something I don't normally get to talk about at all. So. Well, I appreciate you coming on. I had someone else lined up, but 
at the last minute. He's like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm kind of out of comics right now. I'm burned out. I'm just not feeling it right now. I'm sorry. I'm like, that's fine. I understand. You know, we've all been there one way or another. And so I put my feelers out. And so I'm glad you volunteered for this. Give me someone else to talk to. And like I said, I finally get to talk to you after all this time. So, <laughs> so speaking of Armageddon 2001, so is this your first time reading it? Have you read it before? I've read it before. I was I was reading Armageddon 2001 when it was hitting the comic shops. Like I, I think by this point I had officially, you know, 91, I had officially discovered comic book specialty shops. You know, I may have been right. trying to, to uh, you know, cleverly get, you know, sold out comic issues. I may have gone to a spinner rack here and there or, you know, a Walden right. books or something like that. But for the most part, I, I was going to comic specialty shops on a regular basis. And I, I was, you know, entrenched in the the comic book marketing, you know, megalith of, of event crossovers. So I, I pretty much bought all of these annuals and was, you know, following along with the story with bated breath. I mean, the, the only thing I can say about the, the background to this is that I was trying to think like when I first read an issue of Legion, and I think it was probably a couple months before this, like I think my first issue of Legion was issue 29, and I, I'm going to be completely upfront and honest. Like the reason why I started following Legion was because of Lobo's like extreme popularity in 1990. Like I read that Lobo miniseries, and then right. like everybody and their brother was into Lobo, and I kind of went along with the you know the the hype and the fandom and all that stuff, and sort of I think when I discovered that. Lobo was a regular team member of Legion. Then I started picking up the ongoing book and I sought out a lot of back issues from, from that point, you know, uh, right. moving forward. Uh, but at this point, I mean, the, the Armageddon 2001 crossover was in full swing. I had bought, you know, all the, the tie-ins up to that point and, and I was definitely following the, the storyline. So I, I, I had some familiarity with the characters, but this this probably maybe was my my third or fourth issue of of Legion, like at this point that I had, you know, looked at, I guess. But you said you went back and bought all the issues or Well not not all of them. Of like I, like or, I said, oh, okay. I was I was in for the Lobo hype. So like I was looking through like like Mike's Amazing World for all the covers, like trying to <laughs> jog my memory and everything. And like I I, I can see my pattern because I was like, Oh, this cover has a Lobo on it, this cover has Lobo on it. So like I remembered <laughs> buying like issues four and issue five, like feet you know, covers that specifically sort of featured Lobo and then and then I think by that point the ongoing title. I probably bought it from like 29 on, and then I, I probably dipped in and out depending on my level of interest. Like I, I can see like where I, you know, after Armageddon 2001, I followed it pretty faithfully for a while, and then I sort of lost interest in between Armageddon right. 2001 and Eclipso, and then, the, you know, I can see the same thing again where I can recognize covers of things that I bought where I was like, oh look, there's you know, a uh, cover with Superman or Green Lantern. So I can see that I, I would pick those up or I was, you know, by, by the end of the series, it was, it was zero hour was the big event. And, and I remember I picked up a few issues because they, they sort of tied into the, the actual Legion of superheroes at the time. And then, and then, you know, all the stuff with phase. So like, I, I, I can kind of see like where I was like, Oh, I, I can, sort of track my my progress so i i don't know if it was like super consistent but i mean i did buy it on a month-to-month -month basis for you know maybe like five to six months at a time and right. then maybe i would kind of get distracted by the next new shiny thing or maybe maybe there wasn't enough lobo in it for me or something like that and i, I moved on to other things but i would i would occasionally come back to it depending on my level of interest right on yeah this i started collecting invasion was the, the first invasion or first uh crossovers around for so i was Full deep. I picked up this book when it came out and bought every single issue. And because I have an issue, I have a problem. That's the story entirely. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Because it's like I, I think also the other thing was this was this was a direct market book too. So I yeah. think when when Invasion launched, I was I was kind of deep into that as well. But I think some of the spinoff titles I probably hadn't quite discovered. Comic specialty shops in '88, okay. like so. Some of the the things that it the, some of the books that sprung out of Invasion, I just 
you know, I had never seen Legion until I went to a comic specialty shop. And, right. and by then, I think, you know, the, the thing that enticed me to check it out was, like I said, I was Lobo. just going to be honest, but it was it was totally Lobo. Like, that's that's the main reason why I was was buying the book at the time. Well, that's what these characters are thrown in for is to get people to, you know, hey, here's Lobo. Oh, let me check this out. And some yeah, people stick yeah. with it and some, you know, will just dip in and out like yourself. So that's not a problem at all. That's what Lobo was there for. To draw people in and <laughs> get people interested, and you know, may not otherwise want to check it out. You know, that would be one to check it out because Lobo's in it. So, anyway, so we're here to talk about the Legion 91 annual number two. I'm gonna go over and give the quick uh, covers or the credits for it real quick and the synopsis. The cover date was we've been talking about is 1991, the on sale date was July 16th, 1991. The cover price was $2.95. The title of this issue was called 2001. Written by Alan Grant. Penciler is Mike McKeown. Penciler Jan Harps. Letter was Gaspar Saldino. Colorist Laverne, Laverne Kinderski or something like that. Terrible at names. Uh, editor Dan Raspler. And the cover was done by Mike McCone and Jan Harps. And the synopsis for this issue. Uh, the credits all came from Mike's Amazing World of Comics. It's a great site. Check them out. Mike does a fantastic job. Uh, but the synopsis is uh, as follows. Our story starts out with, well, Derek's favorite, Lobo, and <laughs> Telepath holding court with a bunch of creeps on behalf of the Legion. Telepath reads their minds and finds out they're all guilty, and De Lobo demands they all fight him to the death. Once he's killed all ten defendants, in quotes, he knows there's another person in the room. As he confronts Wave Rider, our hero freezes time as he investigates Lobo's future. Ten years into the future, he finds Lobo still holding court and killing people. Realizing that Lobo isn't his man, he he heads out to find the one that controls Lobo, Verl Docks. As he heads towards Legion HQ, he recaps his mission to find Monarch. In Legion HQ, Wave Rider zooms past the rest of the Legion to head to Verl's lab, where he's locked himself in, working on an experiment. As Wave Rider makes to touch Verl, he finds himself captured in an energy band. Verl informs Wave Rider that after he left Lobo, Telepath warned Verl about the intruder. He demands to know what Wave Rider is doing. Wave Rider explains his mission, and Verl allows him to touch him. In ten years, we see the Legion has become a Gestapo. As his goons try to capture the protesters, a couple of former Legionnaires, Strata and Garve, cause a disturbance, allowing some of the protesters to flee. Back on Karen, FaZe, and Garen... Gives a little backstory. At some point, Vera lost interest in justice and started seeking power. The first to go was Lobo, who is in a containment chamber. We then go to an unnamed planet where we find Stealth and her son are living their life when they get a call from Strata asking for a meet. Back on Karen, FaZe and Garden, Garen go up against Vera's enforcer, Cybo. Vera and his mates, I guess, Lady Quark, fire FaZe and Garen. As the would-be rulers leave, FaZe overhears them talking about how soon... The entire galactic spiral arm will be under their control. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, elsewhere, Captain Comet and his wife, Margin, something like that, arrives incognito while Comet reveals himself, stopping some stick-up thugs. Then they meet up with Telepath on the way to meet with Garve. Also on the way are Faze and Gar or Garen. Meanwhile, we see Docs use his experiments on a couple of brainwashed citizens. The device combines the two of them into one monstrous creature. We then learn that they plan on using the device on themselves, and, and one other. Then they go to where Wave Rider is still in prison and gloat how one more day his secret will be theirs. Meanwhile, our former Legionnaires meet up. Stealth has Telepath look into Dox's mind to see what he has planned. They find out the experiment is scheduled for tomorrow. Also, the computer tyrants of Kool have taken up residence in Dox's mind. Before our heroes can do anything, Cybo and a Legion of Legion, a Legion, of Legion troopers show up and reenact the shootout the OK Corral. In the shootout, Mergen, Telepath, Garve, and Little Rocky, which is Garve and Strata's child, die. Also, Cybo eats it. The remaining team then invades Legion HQ, while Docs and Lady Quark use the machine on themselves. As the team moves through the building, Garden frees Lobo from a status chamber, who then begins beating on Garden for making face at him for years. Garden convinces Lobo to hold off on beating him and a chance to get even with Royal Docs. The team finds out the Docs quartet tyrant creature. After a few pages of fighting, the Docs creature takes out our heroes and goes to confront Wave Rider. We then get some exposition about how we got to this point. Docs and Quark figured out how to use the Wave Rider to travel to the past. They went back to Taluk 8 to make sure the computer tyrants were truly dead. There, the tyrants took control of Docs and Lady Quark, which leads us to this point, where somehow the Docs creature absorbed Wave Rider 
and flies off to become the master of space and time. Back in the present, Wave Rider convinces Docs to free him to protect Vero from becoming something worse than Monarch. Wave Rider flies off to continue his journey, while Docs tells him to come back and join the team when he's done. The end. So, let's go ahead and start with the uh, the cover of this one. The cover of this issue shows uh, Wave Rider in the background. He's got his hands up, assuming in the cage that uh, Vero had him in. In front of him, we see Lobo on top of a pile of weapons and his fellow Legionnaires. Off to either side, we see uh, Saibo and uh, Vril off either side of him in, in black and white. Uh, so, Derek, what are your thoughts on this cover? I really like the way the cover's laid out. Like, I like how everyone's positioned. I think it pretty much shows, at least in some sense, like the content of the issue you're about to read. Like, you can tell that there's going to be some... I mean, it, it's it's a little bit of a misdirection, right? Because they, they right. sort of want you to think Wave Rider's going to gonna make contact with Lobo and try to view into his future, and his future may entail, you know, Lobo basically, you know, it kind of reminds me of the whole, you know, Punisher kills the Marvel Universe or something like that, you know, it's like, (laughs) in this case, and they actually did do a version of that in Lobo's ongoing later, where it was like, Lobo, you know, kills the DC Universe or whatever, but it's like, it's kind of like a a precursor to that, and in this case, it's just his fellow, you know, Legion teammates that he's you know, quote unquote, killing the universe of, but I, I think the way it's laid out looks really cool. I mean, the only, the only, and I like the art. I like Mike McCone. I think, I think I, I know him best from the work on Teen Titans, like John's Teen Titans in the right. the early two thousands, and then, and then I did meet him once at a, uh, a San Jose Big Wow, so I got him to sign my my Titans promo poster or whatever. Oh, but nice. I, I do like the way the art's laid out. I like how you know they've got you know Cybo and Docs in the background and everything, and they do a good job of sort of isolating with color like all the different characters in the wreckage. I, I the only thing I kind of question like I, I I see why they did it like I think that the the colors pop on the characters themselves so you can kind of make them out within the wreckage but like for some reason the wreckage looks a little too uniform to me like so and I I get why they did that but I, I wonder if there was like some other way to still give the wreckage some kind of maybe shading like like it could be the Hmm. same color but it it just kind of looks so uniform to me so that that's the only criticism i have but otherwise i think it's it's actually a really excellent cover yeah i I was i like this cover also i think it's a really good cover uh there was something about that was a little off i think that's maybe what it is the the uniformity of the wreckage yeah i couldn't quite put my finger on till you mentioned it but well because it's like it's like you see how they have like that orange stripe going down the center it's like imagine if that was just flat like and the reason why it's not flat is because wave riders yellow would just blend in with that stripe so it's like on lobo it's yellow like wave riders body is yellow but it is as it goes up it kind of has that uh you know increased um i guess granular or whatever yeah it's like it's like it it slowly kind of the the color contrast like slowly increases so that it's darker and darker and it technically by the time you get to the top of it it's almost red like it's it's kind of like a really really dark blood red orange and like maybe there was a way to do something like that with the wreckage where it's like it, it has that sort of light blue at the top but like like it, it maybe more the way lobo's chain handle is colored like the, how there's different right. variations of the blue within it like maybe if they had done something like that it would have a more i don't know kind of three, three-dimensional look to it rather than a flat look but other than that like I, I really like it. I mean, you, you asked about, like, ratings and stuff. I'd probably, I would give this cover maybe a, a, a 4.5 out of 5. Like, I, I think it's good. I just think there's there's a couple little things here and there. But otherwise, I think it's pretty great. Very good. Now, myself, I'd probably give about a 4. Because, again, yeah, it's it's not perfect. But, yeah, it's, it's a really good cover. It's, it's one of the better covers for this crossover. So, yeah, can't can't really complain about it at all. I mean, a few better little nitpicks, as you talked about. But other than that, yeah, it's, it's a really good cover. So let's go ahead and move on to the actual story itself. Uh, I'll go ahead and let you start, since you're the guest. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on this issue? I think it's a pretty good story. Like, I sort of forgot how, how grim dark it gets, like, because, you know, obviously, I guess they have the freedom since they're they're dealing with a, 
a quote unquote alternate future and they know it's never going to come to pass because of the nature of the ending. It's like Doc's kind of sees his own future and then dismantles the time equipment at the end. And, you know, essentially like he kind of begrudgingly does it, you know, like it's not like he's because first he's, you know, he he, docks is an arrogant character, but he's also very self-assured. So like he kind of has this consternation at the end where he's like, well, maybe now that I know, I could do it right this time. You know, like I could I could still like take control of the universe, but not become a monster, you know, or whatever. <laughs> like maybe I can I can do it in a good way now, you know, but but then he he kind of ultimately comes to the conclusion like, no, this he, he he's not. He's not so arrogant and self-assured that he's cold hearted. So, like, I think I think he wants to avert uh, a future that is that tragic and and kind of bloody i guess and 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 that's kind of the the thing that i noticed about it because i think like some of the the key bits for me were when you slowly start realizing like you know saibo is a character that is just introduced for this future so he's kind of you know that that's something that you you notice his kind of I guess for lack of a better term, his right hand man who's leading his kind of Gestapo version of the Legion police. Right. Like they're they're kind of all, you know, attacking, you know, protesters and different things like that. And you and you see they kind of make it, it's interesting because the Legion is supposed to be like this intergalactic police force, but yet they're always kind of, you know, because eventually they had the the rebels series right. and all that stuff. So it's like it, it seems like the the dynamic within Probably, I'm just guessing. With the creative forces involved, they they they're hesitant to, uh, I guess, make you know authority figures completely heroic in some sense, and and you always want to like root for the underdog. So it's like they're always finding ways of making the members of the organization the underdog. So that's why you've got like Strata and Garve amongst the protesters, right. and then you you see that they're you know, quote unquote, indoctrinating all these dissident citizens. And like that kind of reminded me of like Clockwork Orange, like, you know, when when they have got like, you know, Alex in the little, you know, reeducation box and they were like peeling his eyes open and making him watch all these videos and everything like kind of like when they're sort of semi torturing these people and like they're in those little bubbles and the guy's like screaming as he's being reindoctrinated. So it's like it's not precisely like that but i mean it, it does have that vibe of the kind of you know kubrick version of a clockwork orange and then and then the other thing that that kind of keyed in for me that made it really disturbing is this aspect of the the fusion experiments that they're right. doing and like that like was full-on kind of like reanimator stuff like it was really mm. really creepy like the 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 experiment that they do like it it kind of like is just all these jumbled faces and fingers and it's it's very very disturbing and then and then when they finally all merge together like with the computer tyrants like that's even weirder because they've got like hands that are made of faces and faces like and and fingers that are arms and it's just it's like they took and and like earlobes coming out of elbows like it's all kind of (laughs) you know pretty much like ass backward and it's 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 very disturbing yeah i just flip into that page here where they show the the lobo or not the lobo the uh, the rural cork tyrant monster thing and yeah that is rather disturbing disturbing looking yeah i mean that that's that, that that's the only the comparison i could think of was like something out of the the reanimator like i mean it really it really does look like it was if not inspired like that's that's something that you know, comes to mind where you're like, oh, this is just a really sort of perverse image, you know, like because it it it, it feels like I mean, it it, it visually on the page it, it, that the I guess the, the insinuation is it's unnatural and an abomination, but they never come out and say that it's just it's all done visually. And, and right. it's almost like it feels wrong. And you you absolutely positively, you know, the the. I guess morals of this Kolu Tyrant stuff is just totally wrong. Much like, yeah, I really enjoyed this story. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention on the cover, the title of this actual issue, instead of Legion 91 at the time, they changed it to Legion 01 to match the, the mm-hmm. actual book. 
I did like that. Yeah, and I do like they say they start on Lobo. And again, I like, you know, Lobo, when they start out, he's just sitting there and playing judge, jury, and executioner. And 10 years in the future, until Vril changes things, he's still sitting there playing judge, jury, and executioner. He's not like a really, doesn't have really plans for his life other than just killing people. Yeah, he, he, Lobo, <laughs> Lobo does not have a five-year plan, much less a 10-year plan, right? Like, that's that's kind of what that's supposed to uh, impart you with with the the information that that he's he's not a well they, they even say like you, you know it's like oh he's you know I'm I'm talking to the dog I need to talk to the master you know right. like because the the dog's not gonna affect the future that much you know the the dog just you know wakes up you know does its business you know eats food goes to sleep <laughs> right like that's yeah that's kind of that's kind of how Lobo is in this context. <laughs> Also, it was interesting that Lobo, his tracking sense, was able to tell him that Wave Rider was there. Yeah. Because to most people, he's either, they can't tell he's there, or maybe, like, Superman, a few other sensed him after he's touched him. But, yeah, Lobo's like, well, my tracking sense is I think even more. early in his early appearances, Lobo always had that kind of fan aura aspect to his his abilities like you know i i remember thinking of things like if somebody like dark star tried to use her shadow powers on him he he would just be unfazed by it you know right. like they, like most things that would affect people kind, kind of like how that sometimes they give the joker a fan aura where it's like the the scarecrow's fear gas just doesn't work on him he thinks it it tastes yummy or something you know it's like right. it's like most, most people they'd be screaming and howling in terror and and you get you get the vibe that you know most people are unable to sense wave rider but for some reason lobo's senses have that sort of heightened fan aura where he he sort of detects him right before he he makes contact with him yeah, no, that was a nice touch. It shows, you know, how powerful it was supposed to be. But as you said, yeah, he's just a dog. He doesn't really have his own direction to go into. He just does what he's told. Uh, again, I like, I like on page eight when the, the they're flashing back forward, whatever, to show Monarch fighting the heroes. We get Swamp Thing back there. We get the, the uh, Outsiders. We get a few teams that we didn't show in annuals because they didn't have their own book or I say at this point, I think Swamp Thing was had moved out of DC universe and was probably vertical. It started by now or was in the process. I think, of I think at the very least he was because by 91, he, he was probably considered a mature readers DC yeah. title, but it, it hadn't quite graduated to vertigo yet. So, but, but I think even when they were doing those mature reader books, like it was funny, I was just having a conversation about this yesterday, but like, I think it, it's like that notion that like, you know, Sandman and all those books, Doom Patrol were, were DC books and then they were DC mature readers right. books. And then they sort of became absorbed by the Vertigo imprint. So I think this is, this is at that point where I think Rick Veitch was writing Swamp Thing and then it, it was kind of like considered a mature readers book, but it wasn't quite like full blown Vertigo yet. Okay, because I forgot when. I remember Vertigo starting. I wasn't a huge fan. I read The Animal Man. I read uh, Doom Patrol until it got too weird. Uh, Swamp Thing on and off. But it is, yes, it is kind of interesting because it's like in the, in this background, it's almost like you, you got the the Mike Grell Green Arrow and Animal Man and Swamp Thing, and those were all kind of the mature reader label books. But then like a lot of these guys surrounding him, you know, like Superman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, you know, Captain Adam, you know. Batman, like Flash, they they were all kind of your, you know, standard, you know, mom and pop, all ages type books or whatever. And then I, I think it is kind of ironic that, you know, Captain Adam is is right there, you yeah. know, like he, he, given the the intent or the original intent, and then and then also the the irony that I do not see Hawk anywhere in this image. So that's kind of interesting too. Yeah, neither Hawk nor Dove. So I, so I wonder if the writers of the books at the time knew who was going to be Monarch or what they were told other than your character's not going to be Monarch, write a story about it. Because, yeah, because cause the, the, the whole apocryphal thing about, you know, that, that got leaked and then they changed it. Like, right. did, did you, you have to wonder twofold. Like, one, did they know who Monarch was going to be when they were writing this? Like, basically, did Alan Grant and or Mike McCone know that Monarch was intended to be Captain Adam? And then did they know at this point that it was leaked 
and then they purposely like did was you know maybe that wasn't originally Captain Adam and it was somebody else in that image and they redrew it to be you know what I mean like, right. like what what if they knew about knowing you know like I guess yeah, I don't think that happened because I, I don't I think my understanding the change came after near the very end oh okay okay is my understanding is. Yeah, that it wasn't like ahead of time. It was during the actual while the engine was coming out, was my understanding. Oh, okay. And it was a okay. last minute substitution type thing. I could be mistaken on that, but that, that that's what I understood. And again, reading the Hawk and Dove annual kind of goes along with that also. Well, then this this image is a total so, red herring then. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't even think about Captain Adam being there. I, so I was just. I, I, I mean, I, I, suppose, was, I suppose his younger self could oppose his older self, but, you know, that's. <laughs> Yeah. But as I'll talk about in the last issue, we'll talk about later on. He still could have been there, but that's another story entirely. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, nice overall. I, I did, like you said, these are good ways of telling a, a one-off. This is a possible future. This could happen. Let's see. Let's take it to the extreme and go as as wild. You know, and some of them kept it kind of standard, and others took it to the very far extreme, and and to see how wacky or how how far out there could go with it. So. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the dystopian, terrible future turned up to eleven for sure. I mean, everyone dies. You know, the right. bad guy wins. Like this is, and there, there's some really, really brutal deaths too. I mean, the, yeah. the I, I think my favorite one is when I mean the 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 two that that are really really impactful. I think is when Cybo like takes out Garve. Like that's. <laughs> Like you feel horrible. Like it's it's ignominious and it's 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 like that kind of I don't know that you know Negan taking somebody out on The Walking Dead. Like it makes you feel horrible. Like when that happens to that guy and it's like and he's calling out to his wife just as he gets killed. Like it's, yeah, it's... It, to me it's really really tragic. And then of course it completely justifies Captain Comet like smashing him through the building and impaling him. Like because at that point you're like. Yeah, I mean, even even if you had a staunch moral code against killing and you don't believe in it, no matter what, like I think Strata's husband, you know, Garve getting killed like that, like totally puts you on Captain Comet's side for what he does, and you don't, you certainly don't hold it against him at that point, no matter what, because it's this kind of just something you can't come back from at this point, and and it, it, it is kind of like this just really atrocious like you know it, it, it's, it's kind of like you know the the days of future past or or any of those kind of dystopian like horrible futures where everybody's just straight up getting you know executed and killed and 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 it's it, it, you know it's it's really really horrible i guess the the saving grace of that is that this is not this clearly is not something that's set in stone like the, right. the covers the the covers the the characters can recover from from this it's like they 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 took out the toys out of the toy box they they totally like wrecked the toys and broke the toys but then they they had a magic trick to undo all the breakage by the end <laughs> yeah it's something like out of game of thrones or you know where it was just gets killed off hell let's kill them all off yeah beyond that where you were talking about where cybo dies i like that they're at the bottom of page 42 where you know we see cybo laying there dead and then below that they show various members of the legion dead there's blood splattered on the wall we get captain comet holding his wife we get a uh, strata crying it's just that's that's a very moving page i think yeah and there's there's no there's no dialogue needed i think right. also and, and what's interesting about it is this is technically a code approved book and <laughs> and the way they get away with the level of violence i think is and and it kind of reminds me of of the difference between the Watchmen comic and and the Watchmen film, like where the, the the violence I think is usually made subtle, not in the art itself, but by the colorist, because right. it's like you you see him impaled, but yet it's not as gory and or violent, so that it wouldn't be code approved. You, you it's it's a subtle way that the the coloring is all sort of dark blues, so it it sort of negates the gore but yet the background is red so it also emphasizes what <laughs> just happened so you you still get the full impact of it but it's not it, it's not violent to the point where it, it becomes you know i guess non-code approved you know like so i was like i i don't know i think i think that's interesting like sometimes you can come up with really great art 
within constraints sometimes you know like sometimes sometimes it comes out for the you know comes out the better for it so right. it's not just you know i don't know obnoxious kind of like <laughs> hbo spawn type violence <laughs> and gore you know like the, it's a little more subtle than that and I, I i do appreciate that page i mean i think it's a very strong and powerful yeah. page it's probably the best page in the whole in the whole annual and i've heard other writers and artists talk about ways to get around the codes like say instead of making the blood red make it dark black mm-hmm. or dark blue mm-hmm. or something and and i've heard some people say that you know trying to get around the code to prove you know so it's proof for code actually makes the story better sometimes because yeah we yeah. come with a, either more interesting way or sometimes i remember i forget who it was now one writer saying how he came out the more the way he ended up doing it was actually came out to be more not just a traumatic but it came out more powerful more gruesome because of, of what you, yeah, because of what you don't see, right? Yeah. Like your your imagination runs wild, and then it, yeah. it becomes even more, you know, it, you know, more impactful on the reader than it would have had you shown the actual event on the panel, right? Yeah, yeah. And I like, said, so yeah, you talked about in the synopsis when uh, Lobo gets freed and he starts beating the heck out of uh, uh, oh, Garen, yeah, Garen, and he's like, hold on, hold on. Don't you don't you want to get Lobo or don't you want to get real for pitting you in here? You know I do owe him. Wait right there. I would. I'll be right back. <laughs> I thought it would get a very nice touch, very Lobo like. You know someone did oh, it yeah. wrong, yeah. so you know what? He's gonna get his revenge. Then I'll come back and continue beating on you for making fun of him. It's like you you only <laughs> made funny faces at me. Like I, I want the guy who actually locked me up in there so you could make funny faces at me. Like that's that's the level of priority. Yeah. And then page 11, they have that image of the merger of all of them that you were talking about. Yeah, we got a giant hand coming out of their, their torso forming them, and he's holding both uh, Lady Quark and Vril's heads in his hands. I guess he's, their hand, heads is merged into their hand or whatever. That's a very weird-looking creature. I just, yeah, very disturbing-looking. <laughs> yeah. But like I said there's more of the battle. But yeah, it's just, it's... Yeah, it was just a great annual. Like I said, and there there are minor quibbles here and there, I'm sure, but overall, yeah, this this was one of the the better annuals. Because I say, yeah, some they did a good job at it. Some were just, eh, here's here's you know, kind of they just threw something out at them. And this doesn't, other than the the opening closing narrative, it doesn't really have much to do with Mon- actually anything with Monarch. Monarch doesn't show up in it. There's no. I, I was going to ask, like, do you, do you think that's the reason why this is like a, a really good one? Because it turns out like that it doesn't technically have anything to do with Monarch. Like they just kind of told their own like dystopian future story, or or, or do you, do you feel like you're you're sort of you're you're not getting what you paid for because it's got that Armageddon 2001 logo slapped on it, and you you wanted more than just Wave Rider at the the beginning and end of the story. In most of the books, I would say yes to that, that I'd want more Monarch, I'd want more, you know, but seeing how this is set in space, and like I said, we don't know how far our, far Monarch's reign goes, if it's just on Earth, or he's gone beyond Earth, so I could, I could, this one here gets a pass, and for not showing anything on Earth at this time, because yeah, and Vril doesn't become Monarch, he uh, doesn't, involve, he's not involved with Earth at this point, so yeah, it doesn't bother me in this one that there's no mon- no monarch shown in the future. When I say some of the other ones that where it's on Earth and you would expect monarch to be there, yeah, some of those are like like the Flash one for instance. There's nothing to do with monarch. That one there, I was a little more disappointed in because yeah, it, it's on Earth. It's, it's supposed to be ten years. Monarch should be a presence here, but he's not. But yeah, I think this one gets a pass just because it, it's like I say, it's so far from Earth and it is a, a tie-in because. Wave Riders looking into their future, but yeah, since they're not on Earth, Monarch's not really playing a part in the story. Uh, what did you think about that? Yeah, I, I I think I was fine with it for the reasons that you're giving. The fact that I mean, I I don't think all these futures were intended to line up in any way either, right. given you know the nature of of 
the Batman and Superman annuals, you know, the way it was like always different every time yeah. he, he met one of them, you know, because they, the, the, the main goal of it was a monetary goal, right? It was to <laughs> slap that label on every annual they had in the line out at the time. And then their way to get around that, it's like, well, why would you touch Superman more than once is, well, things have changed in between now and then. So I'm going to touch you just one more time just to be sure. And oh yeah, since Superman <laughs> has three titles, I'm going to touch you just one more time after that, just to be sure. And since Batman has two titles, like, we're going to touch him twice, just to be on the safe side. But everybody else gets touched once, because they only have the one annual. And it's like, that's, you know, I I, I went along with it at the time, because, you know, I right. think I... I was more this this was an era and I, I kind of say this a lot, but this was this was still within an era where I was willing to sort of go along with the program. If someone gave me a given statement, I just kind of nodded my head and, mm -hmm. you know, I could I could, you know, suspend disbelief given that given statement that like, yeah, wave riders check in origins and futures and things like that. And yeah, he's got to touch these guys a few times, but he's just going to touch this guy once. And, you know, and, and then, you know, in some ways that helped them with the ending, you know, because that sort of explains to some degree why when he touched, you know, Hank Hall, he did not see right. what, what they would ultimately reveal, right? So, right. you know. Yes, yeah, in fact, I talk about that elsewhere, that, yeah, it's funny that, yeah, he touches Superman three times, but, and most of the heroes he doesn't encounter again, except for the Flash, he meets in the Just League Europe annual, and I, I talk about this when I get to that one, but he's like, I already touched you, Flash, I don't need to touch you again. And it makes for a funny bit in the story, but like you said, back when this came out, I was 21 when this came out, I, I was younger, and... Uh, like you said, more more accepting of them saying, "Well, here it is." And me, just, I just ate it all up. I didn't question it like I do. You know, now I'm I'm 49. I'm looking back at this, and as I'm reading this, yeah, I'm questioning it a bit more. And there's things that's popping up now that I didn't even think twice about back then. Now I'm like, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> so as I said, as I as I'm finding as I'm reading through this entire run. I'm not enjoying as much as I originally did because, again, I'm older and I, I'm asking more questions that I didn't ask back then. If I could just turn my mind off a little bit more and, and go with it more, it'd be a better run. But, yeah, there are these neat, these uh, lingering questions in my head that, that, that I'm asking myself, I'm asking the book, and I'm not getting the satisfactory answer I'd want. Mm. <laughs> so uh, do you have any other thoughts on this issue? Uh, the actual annual itself? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think we covered it. I mean, I think it's a it's if you're if you're really into dystopian like futures and you you don't mind seeing the toys in your toy box get utterly disassembled and disemboweled and with the knowledge that they will they will write everything by the end of the story if you can if if that's something that you're you're into as a, a point of curiosity then i think you will enjoy this annual if you don't like seeing your favorite characters die horrible <laughs> violent torturous deaths you you may just not like the content itself but i mean i think I think artistically and and uh, you know writing wise, it was all done very well. So uh, you know, for me, I recommend it. But my I guess that's with the caveat of if you're not just into that type of storytelling, this may be a pass for you. <laughs> yeah, very good. The one last thing I forgot to mention, I, I do like that last page where uh, after Wave Rider takes off, Rosa. I think we mentioned earlier a little bit that you know, uh, Rosa in there, hmm, time and space. Under my control. <sighs> All right, Faye, set up some robots. I can get rid of this junk. <laughs> he just, he's like, he's, he's thinking about it for a minute. Time and space yeah. under my control. He, he, he wants, he, mm -hmm. he's like, maybe, maybe this time I can do it right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that was, yeah, like I say, it was a good story. I say, yeah, if you value your characters too much and you get too attached to them, yeah, you may not want to read it, but otherwise, yeah, if you can just go with it, definitely a great annual. Um, well, I guess that's going to do it for this this annual. Uh, before we go, Derek, why don't you tell people out there where they can find you if they want to hear more about you? 
Yeah, if you want to find me on the interwebs uh, and you like listening to podcasts, and I assume you do if you're listening to this, I'm over on the Fanholes Podcast Network. You can find all the various podcasts I do over there on uh, fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. I also do a chronological video series on YouTube called The History of Comics on Film, and you can find the videos from that over on HOCOF, short for History of Comics on Film, blogspot.com and i always kind of forget to do this but since we're talking about legion like i should probably pimp that i i have a regular action figure feature over on the legion of super bloggers so if you're if you're into uh, this version of the legion i assume you may have some interest in the legion of superheroes so go over there and check that out too well thank you again thank you much for for filling in and for joining me i had a pleasure talking with you yeah, this is awesome. This is fun to talk about something. Like I said to you earlier, it's not it's not something I typically get a chance to talk about. Uh, so sometimes I feel like it's twisting arms to get uh, a lot of you know Marvel type guys to talk about DC things. So I, I and and even within that context, I can't think of too many people that you know were were the, uh, among my colleagues that were super into the the Legion or read as much Legion as I did. So right. this is this is fun. Uh, you know, a fun type of uh, topic and. And, and something that I don't normally get the chance to talk about. So thank you. Hello, I'm off to this again sometime. And to all my listeners, thank you for listening to us once again. Uh, definitely let us know what you think. Let Derek know what you think about his involvement with this episode. Again, send me an email to head at headspeaks.com or you can go on to Facebook or the uh, website at head.headspeaks.com. Leave some comments. Let me know what you think. Go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from. Leave me a review. Uh, I would definitely love hearing from you guys. Uh, I haven't gotten any reviews or emails from you guys, so I'm not reading anything off right now. But I do want to thank you for listening in. And just a real quick note for next month. Instead of the first Tuesday of the month, I'm going to postpone next month until the third Tuesday of the month. The first Tuesday of the month, I should be out with an episode of Task Force X. Uh, looking at my notes here, it looks like it'll be episode 45. And then the second week, I'll have my G.I. Joe as normal. The third week, I'll come out with Head Speaks. And then the fourth week, I'll be back with my uh, Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour plus an episode of Bravo Team. Uh, the reason for the change is that this next month, uh, May... There's a big podcasting crossover thing that goes on called JLA May, where several of the podcasters get together and talk about some Just League story from the past. Uh, this year, they're going to be talking about Blackest Night, and I've been invited to be a part of it. So I'm going to be talking about Suicide Squad number 67, Secret 617, and Issues 18 in Task Force X. And then I will be talking about the third week of the month on Head Speaks. I will be talking about the Black Knight issue four. The reason I switched these around is because the Suicide Squad and the Secret uh, Six books came out before the Black Knight issue did. So check back with uh, next month, first Tuesday of the month. I should have my Task Force X episode. But before you tune in here next month, actually Task Force X. So let's back a step. So I want you guys to check out Task Force X. Well, you should be listening to it anyways, but definitely check it out next month for May. But before you do, check out an ep a podcast called The Podcast of OA, or OA, which looks at Blackest Night number zero. And from there, they'll direct you where I'm not sure who's doing Blackest Night one yet. Uh, Blackest Night two looks like is the idol head of Diablo. Blackest Night three is the Fire and Water podcast. And then... Be back here the third Tuesday of May for Blackest Night 4, where we will have Head Speaks. And we're looking at, like say, Blackest Night number 4. And from there, we go on to other shows. We'll tell you more about that then. But definitely check out the podcast of OA for the first parts. And they will lead you to other podcasts to listen to. And... By this time next month, or by actually, hopefully by the first week of May, I should have a listing, and I should have that on the Task Force X page, and I'll probably also update it on the uh, Head Speaks page, which order, where to go to find the other parts of this. 
Uh, there was eight issues of The Blackest Night, but then there was a bunch of other crossover books. I say Suicide Squad on my end was part of it. So definitely uh, check that out. And uh, let me know what you guys think. And I guess uh, we'll see you next month. Until then, remember, Head has spoken. Thank you for listening to another fantastic episode of Head Speaks. Hope you enjoyed it. If so, let me know. Drop me an email to head at headspeaks.com or visit our home at head.headspeaks.com. You can also visit and talk with me on Facebook and Google+, both under Head Speaks. You can also send an MP3 file with your thoughts, and I can play that on the air. And you can also get more of me on my other podcasts. Be sure to listen to Task Force X, where monthly I look at John Ostinger's Suicide Squad and Paul Kuppenberg's Checkmate comics from the 80s and early 90s. Also, over on G.I. Joe, a real American headcast, my podcasting friends Ryan Daly and Kyle Benning, along with myself, are looking at all of the G.I. Joe, a real American hero comics, and related titles from Marvel and IDW. All of my headcasts are available on iTunes and Stitcher, along with the respective blogs and my main page at headspeaks.com. All comments, thoughts, and opinions expressed on Head Speaks are owned wholly by the speaker of said comments and do not express the opinions of Head Speaks, unless, of course, I'm the one making the comments. Head Speaks, Task Force X, and G.I. Joe, Real American Headcast, are all part of the Headcast family. So join us next month for another wonderful episode of Head Speaks. Until then, I'll see you in the funny pages. Good night.